You may have heard of the, um, a particular prophet in the Old Testament called Jeremiah. Um, he had been given a name. He was known as the weeping prophet. Now, I got up on my birthday, 19th of September this year, and that was a bit of a mess. So I hope this morning it doesn't, um, it doesn't go the same way, in all honesty. Um, last night, I was saying to George a bit earlier, um, I went through my notes, I checked my timings, and I thought, no, this is all all right. And, uh, but it seemed a bit flat. And then I'm thinking, oh, no, this could be death by... A well, you, you know, if you've been in business, death by a thousand PowerPoint slides. It, I thought, oh, it could be like that. But this morning, waking up, I've now gone, oh, dear. It could go the other way. But anyway, just to try and get myself back into control, um, this morning is not about feeding your soul. It's not about making you feel good, although I hope you do walk out of it with a positive attitude. It's not about um, making you feel comfortable in your Christian walk. Uh, it's a bit like a baby, isn't it? You know, when you have a baby and you put them in the high chair, um, the first few months, maybe years, the mess, the, um, the little presents that are left in various places are accepted, aren't they? And you love your baby because it's your baby and it's precious and God loves us. I mean, when we become Christians, they rejoice in heaven. No different than when a baby's born. But there comes a point when you've got to grow up. And you also, of course, you want to know you're loved. I mean, I wasn't good at that for many years, and I know a wife needs to know she's loved. But if all you ever say is, I'm glad you love me, there's something a bit wrong, isn't there? We've got to move on to taking responsibility. And, um, and that's what, you know, that's what I want to cover a little bit this morning. It's got a structure to it. Um, you know, we all have to run, we're all in a fight, and we all have to run a race. That is what comes with the territory with being a Christian. But you can choose whether you run, and you can choose whether you fight. You can hide. I heard a story a couple of days ago from somebody about the Vietnam War. Only 30% of the people who fought in the Vietnam War actually fired a bullet. So what did the other 70% do? Now, I know some were cooking. That's okay. But the, f the fact of the matter is, everybody here is a Christian, and I'll address anybody here who's not a Christian in a minute, but everybody who's a Christian has a responsibility and has to run a race and fight a fight. Because God wants us here today to equip us. He wants us to get to know him. He certainly wants us to worship him. And you may notice over the past few months, the structure of the meetings Sunday morning and the Sunday night worship meetings have put a lot more emphasis about worshipping God. It's not about us. Worship is not about us. It's about honouring who God is. And you see, if you've come in this morning and you think, oh, I've been to a nice worship service, and you're not a Christian, you, I'm not being nasty, but you can't worship. You can only worship somebody you know. And you can only really worship somebody you know intimately. So we, that, that's what God wants us here for. And of course, the obvious one that rubs everybody up the one, wrong way is he wants us here so we can love one another. And that provokes, doesn't it? That provokes us. So the way you live your life 
reveals how much you know him and what you believe. Not how you live your life on a Sunday morning for two hours, but how you live your life. And as Christians, we've got the Holy Spirit living in us, of course, but he also wants to live out of us. So we've got responsibility. So, you know, I don't want to put a dampener on this meeting. I do want to go through a process to explain this because, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. And as you'll see in some of it, there's, there's a little bit about me in that process. And it doesn't matter. You don't get the badge of good and faithful servant once you've turned 30 years as a Christian. It's about your transformed life. So just my caveat here, if anybody's old enough to remember Morecambe and Wise, I've got all the right verses prepared today, but they may not all be in the right order. <laughs> so, so we'll see where we end up on that. So first and foremost, a recap. Um, Pastor Steve, Romans 12.2, I think it may be up on the screen. Um, Romans 12.2 says, um, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So ultimately, it's about how we think. And I know a lot of people think Sunday morning is to switch off. I don't have to think. It's when I've got work out my head, I've gone out the house, and I can just sit here and veg. Well, hopefully, you're not going to get that opportunity this morning. Um, what Steve spoke about for two weeks was about uh, having a, um, a different spirit. Now, of course, we know what he said. We know the people he was talking about. Um, Caleb, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel. We know the who's. We know the what's, don't we? We know what they did and how their life was different. We know roughly when it happened. But do we know why it happened and how it happened? We all could have walked out over the last two weeks thinking, that was a nice service, that was nice, I really understand about Daniel. Um, you know, I know, as, again as Steve said, we may not be confronted with a fiery furnace tomorrow morning. But we will have life challenges. And who can disagree with that after March 2020? where the whole structure of society has been turned upside down. So we will have life challenges. And unfortunately, during that mischievous period of a year and a half where people imploded a bit, the devil didn't go to sleep. He used as much opportunity to cause mischief as possible. But God hasn't gone to sleep. The, ch the church never went to sleep. We just didn't meet here. That's all. So, you know, if we look at... Um, Caleb in particular, and I wanted to talk a little bit about Caleb. That's in Numbers 14.24. It talks about that he had a different spirit. Now, he was 40 years of age, it says in the Bible. He was 40 years of age when he first was picked to go into the promised land. He was not a little kid. He was fell into the category of people that could have been excluded because God said, because of disobedience, none of you shall enter into the rest. And the rest was entering into the promised land. So Caleb was 40, yet he didn't, it was 40 years later that he stood on the east bank of the Jordan, looking across into the promised land. And it was only him and Joshua that went across from that group of people who were adults. Two people. 
because they had a different spirit. Even Moses didn't go across into the promised land because he had a period of disobedience. And God said, you're not going in. Now, if we lived with that level of disobedience (laughs) or, you know, and what Moses did, we would look at it as trivial. But we live in the new covenant. God lives within us and it's different. But the responsibility to have a different spirit is certainly not different. Caleb inherited the promises because he had a different spirit. And his family are mentioned throughout the Old Testament as being and Caleb's descendants, etc. So he would have been 80 when he went in. We don't know when he died. It may be in there. If you know, please let me know. But he was at least 80 before he entered into rest. Now, so in that respect, what we're talking about today is for the really old. Because he didn't start his journey, really, (laughs) until he was 80. There are for the bulk, and there are for, thankfully, the younger ones as well. The young ones went in. It was the generation that was adult 40 years before that didn't go in. They benefited from the, well, they didn't benefit, they were 40 years wandering. But they benefited from the fact that they were not under that judgment that God put upon the people. So don't waste your youth. <laughs> don't waste it. Make sure you're included in. So that's a recap of what uh, Pastor Steve spoke about, really. And I just want to now do a little bit about um, me because it puts it into context um, A, that I understand the process and also I never jumped out of bed the day I became a Christian and the world was a different place and I was a different person Uh, 5th of December 1974 was a Wednesday and probably not that my mind's that good but probably I woke up Late for work, um, probably with a hangover, um, and I, I, I got drunk, not to the point of collapsible drunk, but I got drunk most nights. I was, I was getting a wage, I turned 18, so I was can do what I wanted, and um, I had very little, I did have prompts in my life, because the rest of my family, including my brother who's sitting over there, Um, had started going to church in the late summer, autumn of 1974. And they were very soft. They didn't grab me by the throat and get all all long hair at the time to go to church. Um, But the 5th of December was a Wednesday, and this was a a person who I'll talk about later that was a natural man. But on the 5th of January 1975... Something happened. There was a film on telly. It was a Sunday. There was a film on television called The Greatest Story Ever Told. Cecil B. DeMille epic. And I just watched it because it was Sunday afternoon. You didn't have many options on a Sunday then. It was that or a gardening program in all honesty. <laughs> so I watched that and I, can hear, I heard the rustlings at about six o'clock of everybody getting ready to church, to go to church. And uh, I thought, I'll go. Now, we had a, a Triumph Herald, and if anybody knows what a Triumph Herald is, it's not a big car, so five of us in it was a challenge. Um, a little bit after that, when I was playing in a band, my dad used to take me with my drum kit in the Triumph Herald and all my mates. <laughs> so this day and age, that wouldn't have met any insurance rules. 
But anyway, so I, I, became, I went to Elam Church in Portsmouth on the 5th of January, and I became a Christian. And it was a profound thing, I knew. It wasn't an emotional thing. I, I, I just knew that. And I thought I was a nice person, but I felt absolutely rotten. So I knew God had convicted me. And then on the 7th of January, which if you're good at your calendars and maths, was a Tuesday. And by Tuesday, I decided, I don't know what I'll let myself in for here. So me and my friend Jim went up the pub in Havant, um, knowing that Andy Helms's mum and dad were visiting my mum and dad. So I thought, well, that's okay. By about 10 at night, they all would have gone, and I'll come home. So I opened the door to be greeted by Maureen Elms, uh, Andy's mum. And she said, hello, Mark. Saw you put your hand up Sunday. Went to the front. Um, Would you like us to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And uh, I didn't have a Scooby-Doo what that was, to be honest. So I said, as of a dutiful son, I said, of course I will. You know, Uh, And I was rocked. I nearly broke a chair. It was a very powerful thing. But did that make me somebody who had a different spirit? I did internally, of course. Internally, I had been born again. I was a different person in that. But was I outworking a different spirit? Now, this is the thing. It doesn't directly affect my brother, Phil, but he would have been very close and either preceded me or followed me. But there'll be a little picture put up on the screen about the 26th of January, 1975. That's me with my longer hair getting baptised at Elam Church, Portsmouth. And that man there is a man called Pastor Biddle, um, a very, very um, strong, honest, dedicated pastor. Um, you know, he went to every meeting. Now, I'm, I mean, he ran the church. It was, didn't have many help groups at the time. It was he did everything. Um, so that was January 1975. And a bit like a child... Time went on, and God's gracious. He lets you mess up. And then he answers prayers quickly. And you think, oh my goodness, this is wonderful. But I never changed that. And months, years went by, and disaster struck. The veneer was ripped off. And by 1995, after carnage in my life, and affecting others. I packed up church. Um, I rejoined a band I was in in 1975, and we started going out. And so poor old Glennis was going to church in Emsworth. Diligently, I wasn't. Um, and um, until Christmas 2002. And uh, things happened. I was away at the time on a Saturday evening. Uh, we were playing just outside of London, and... I went to bed, or I was staying at a family's house. We all, the four of us, generally went and stayed at a few places. And I went to bed early, well, midnight-ish, and I just thought, I've had enough. My life was... God had been prompting me for a year. But I had to change, and I thought... about. Now, I wasn't suicidal, don't get me wrong. I wasn't going to jump off of a bridge the next day. But I had enough, and by about three in the morning, God spoke to me through a dream that caused me to cry for two weeks. And the thing is, I haven't really stopped. 
So that's what happened. Um, in the last few years, the level of urgency, desire, determination, and thank, thank Taffy for saying nice words. Um, but that has really started to grip me because I look across this here. I'll take my glass off so I can see. I know most of you. I've spoken to most of you, and you're precious. Now, that's me saying that. What does God think? doesn't matter what age you are, but you've got to change. You can't stay as that cozy little Christian that turns up on a Sunday says all the right things, does all the right things, and stinks inside. Now, none of us get to the perfection. That is reserved for later. But we do have to agree that we're in a race, and we do have to agree we're in a fight, and we have to choose to fight it and run it. And that's what makes people having a, have a different spirit. Do you think that Caleb, Joshua, those sort of people, Daniel just strolled into the tabernacle on a Sunday to have a little half an hour of worship? Of course not. Their whole life was consumed with knowing God. And you think, well, what, where's the time for anything else? You still do life. <laughs> but you have to give yourself over to God. And that's where the truth comes in. Because you should know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So... With my business head on, <coughs> I like to define the problem and then create the solution. Um, so I want to define the problem, because what I'm trying to explain is, I want you to understand why you are where you are today, and how you change. Because we can get the great stories about men of old, when knights were bold, and things like that, but... Unless we take it personally and know how to change, it's worth nothing, is it? So I want to... Um, Steve spoke about thermometers and um, thermostats, didn't he? Now, both of them sort of have something in common. Um, one controls, but one doesn't. But each follow a process. So if you can excuse me uh, on here, I'll try not to get too self-indulgent and... Um, uh, focus on the screen too much, but I just want to show you a very basic process. So we have inputs. Pretty obvious, don't we? Everything we do is based on an input. We have a process. Things change. If you make a cake, you put the stuff in, you mix it up, you get something different coming out, don't you? And you get an output. Okay? And then that's. Now, a thermometer works like that, doesn't it? The mercury inside of it gets hot. There's the input. It expands because it's a metal. It's got a constrained tube, so it must take up more volume. So it, you see the line go up. And, but that's it. It can't react to anything other than the input. It doesn't modify its behavior based on how it affects the world. But if you look at a thermostat, that's different. Same input, change of temperature. S the process is slightly more complex. If you've got 
could be electronic, but it could be a bit of metal that bends, and as it bends, it makes or breaks a contact. So there's your process. The output is, am I too hot or am I too cold? So the big difference is, you get feedback. Okay? So then the input says, I'm not where I should be, and it adjusts. And it keeps doing that until it gets to steady state. So that's how we work as human beings. So what I want to do now is just talk about... I know the world says, and I'll, I'll try and be very neutral on this. I won't say what I was going to say. There are three types of people in the world. Okay? Three types. And thankfully there's more than one sheet. So please try and remember that. But it is pretty basic, isn't it? So the three types of people is the natural person. And the natural person is spoken of in 1 Corinthians 2.14. That is the person that is not regenerated by God's Holy Spirit. That person is the person who is born into sin, like all of us were, including Mary. So I know Christmas is coming, I don't want to shatter the illusion, but Mary was born into sin like everybody else. So the natural person is separated from God. So when we, I, draw, I will draw a man in a minute, and you can see the various inputs, processes, and outputs. So there's the natural man. The next step, which shouldn't be there, but is there, is the carnal man. Now, that's in 1 Corinthians 3, 1. Now, the carnal man is a Christian. Now, Paul had a lot to say in the book of Corinthians about this person, the one who chooses to not really respond to God's prompting. They have a new spirit inside them, but it's not outworking because they choose to not change. Or if they do change, it's not enough. <laughs> the race is, you know, running for a bus, and then you think, oh, I can't be bothered, I'll get the next one, because it's just a bit too much to run all the way to get the bus. And then the third person is the spiritual person. And a spiritual person who's controlled by God, if you think of the feedback loop, there's, there's a process that's gone on that modifies our behavior based on input from God. Okay? So if I just draw a person, and I won't scribble all over it because it'll get far too complicated, but the carnal man has inputs. They have inputs from the world. They have inputs from their fleshly desires. And they have inputs from the devil. Now those inputs could be demonic oppression, oppression. It could be possession. But also it could just be temptations. Now the carnal person processes that information, has an output, which is their behavior. <laughs> but where do they feed back to? They feed back to their mind. They don't feed back to their spirit because it's disconnected from God. They feed back to their mind 
And then, well, I was entitled to do that. He deserved it. Somebody needs to stand up for their rights. And this is Christians. <laughs> I'm not talking about the carnal person. I'm talking about Christians. Well, I think I was anyway. Maybe I was talking about the natural person. But the point of the matter is the carnal person is a Christian who doesn't change. And, but the spiritual person does. And how, what is the feedback loop for the spiritual person? What are the things that make them different? Prayer, reading the Bible, spending time with God. But the first thing, repentance. If something that's come out doesn't match up to the thermostat setting, the first thing you should do is repent. Ask for God's forgiveness. Read the Bible as an input to your life. You've got God's spirit living in you. The natural man doesn't. God brings the scriptures alive because that's what revelation is. And all of a sudden you think, I never thought of that. And he empowers you. That's why if you've got the Holy Spirit living in you, he empowers you to change. If you're not a Christian, you can't. You read as many self-help books as you like. You may change and modify your output, but there's one output that you cannot modify, and that's where you spend eternity. But if you're a Christian, whether you're a carnal Christian or a spiritual Christian, a carnal Christian is going to cause some devastation and disappoint God, like I did. But a spiritual Christian is somebody whose their badge is love. And you know, when you stand before God... Everything is like through a tea strainer. All your good works are poured into the tea strainer. The only bit that comes through is that which is done in love. Everything else is dross. Paul said that. I count everything dross. So I know it's a little bit sobering, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is... And that's why I'm saying I'm not playing to your soul this morning. I'm not making you think, oh, great, that was a really nice story. It's, it's, it's taking responsibility. So, so where do we go from there then? Um, there's two things. Um, checking my time as well. I think I'm all right. God desires to have an intimate relationship with us. That's what he desires. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When you give birth to a child, it's very few people that say, do you know, I'm looking forward when he spends these latter years in prison. Whoever thinks like that? You want the best for them, don't you? That's what God wants for us. He wants the best for us. But a bit like a child, there comes a point where the child has to act against their own will. You see, when you look at what man's made up of, his body, soul, and spirit. Now, the spirit's there. When the, when the word says your spirit is dead, in the original, it means separated. Okay? So when you die physically, you're dead. 
and your body is separated from your soul. But it's still there. You know, contrary to people who would like to think you just disappear and don't exist anymore, you do. But you can't live on earth because you haven't got a body. Now, if you're not connected to God's spirit, it's not that God's rejected you. You rejected him. But if you're connected to God's spirit, then your soul and your spirit is unified with Christ and has access to God. That's what being eternally in God's presence is based on, having a relationship with God. So God wants to know us. And that is a key point with regards to what having a different spirit is about. So if we look at um, Ephesians 3.19, Paul says that we should, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's what God wants for us, to know the fullness of his love so that we can be full. But it's also a knowledge. And, you, you know, and the first thing is we've got to know God. And there's Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. So knowing God is quite important. And for those that have come to our Connect group on a Tuesday night, and all of them, I could actually stop and get one of them up and tell me what the five no's are, but I won't to save embarrassment. Um, but the word for no in the Bible, in Hebrew, is the word yada. Now, you all know the word yada. Um, it's mainly used by the Americans more than the English when they've fed up listening to somebody. Yada, yada, yada. Um, but it, basically what it means in Hebrew is to know. But there's five levels of knowing. Um, level one is knowing in detail. For those, and one of my friends, if he listens to this, um, will talk about knowing the Beatles. Um, you can know everything about the Beatles, but if Paul McCartney's having a party, is he likely to invite you? <laughs> the second level of knowing is technically, for those that are engineers, um, you can know how to fix a car. You know everything about how something works. The third knowing is um, referenced in John 8.32, is to knowing the truth. <clears throat> that's having an encounter with God. You might meet somebody at a party or you, you, you speak to them on the phone and you say, oh, yeah, I know that person, I spoke to them last week. It's having that encounter. But again, does it make it that there's an intrinsic bond? It doesn't, does it? The fourth is a face-to-face -face encounter. We know that Moses had that. Um, and we could have a face-to-face -face encounter with God. You could come into this meeting today or another time or previously and go, wow, that was something special this morning. But it's still that good enough. Like, say, referring back, I could have actually gone up and spoke to Paul McCartney. I could say, do you know what? He's got quite clammy hands. You know, I've got, ooh, all of a sudden I don't like him anymore. But does it make you different? It doesn't. The only one that does is the fifth no, which is the intimacy of a person. That is the one that really changes you, isn't it? Because when you get intimate with somebody, 
you start to know them and they start to know you. So I'm getting to the point of what is the critical bit. That's where we want to end up, isn't it? We want to be a friend of God. We want to have an intimate relationship with God. As Daniel did. As Caleb did. They were prepared to put themselves into a place where they could die because they had an intimate relationship with God. It's not good enough to say, I know the Bible inside out. It's not good enough to say, I have a prayer every morning for 10 minutes. It's having a personal relationship. And same with a a baby. When that relationship starts, it's all very one-sided, isn't it? The parents get all the joy. And okay, you know, I can't remember what I thought when I first smiled as a baby. But I'm sure I was happy. Um, It might have been wind. I really don't know. But the fact of the matter is, it's one-sided. And when you become a Christian, it really is quite one-sided. God is so pleased that he's poured you out of disaster and separation. But he does expect you to grow. And that can only be done when you've got an intimacy Because as you grow as a child, you build a relationship with your mother, don't you? And your father. And you change and you take inputs from them. And you listen to them. Now, okay, you get to an age where you can say, I'm old enough now, I make my own decisions. And that's a difficult period for parents, isn't it? Because they can't control anymore. But do they still love you? A proper parent would. And how much more does God, with the... I reckon the amount of people on the earth today, which is about 7 billion, is about the same as how many's lived in the past. So that means God has been looking at 14 billion people. Now, we don't know how near the end we are to the return of Christ, but that's 14 billion people he loves desperately. And just to offend, that includes Adolf Hitler. When I think of him, I don't think he he got... I'm glad he went to hell for what he did. I'm desperately sad. Because that's a person that Christ died for. So I don't take lightly about rotten people and they got what they deserved. I don't like doing that. Because they are made in the image of God. So where does it take us now then? I mean, we know what we want to (laughs) be. We've seen our ideal output, but what is it that, what is that key process step that gets us there? And that is abiding and dwelling in God's presence. That's what effectively the message was about this morning, living in the shadow of the Almighty. Now that is, you know, you take a a little situation with... um, you're going to meet your girlfriend's mother. You're going around for tea. You're on best behaviour, aren't you? You um, invite your boss around for tea and you want everything sorted. So you put a show on. You choose not to swear so much. You might swear at work, but you don't swear at home because you don't want to offend your wife. But if you recognise that you've got the Holy Spirit living in you, <laughs> and it matters... And that's when you start realizing, and, and you get that when you abide and live and dwell in the presence of God. 
So there's two more verses. One other person I wanted to introduce is David, and I'll end with David. Um, But it's Psalm 91, verse 1. Um, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High abides in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, there's two words for God there. There's Almighty. We know God Almighty. That is the Hebrew word Al Shaddai. And the other word for um, God is the Most High or the Exalted One. And if my memory serves, because I never wrote it down, I think the word is Al Elyon. Now, who is the Exalted One? It's Christ. He was exalted above all. So we need to abide in Christ. If you ever watched rugby matches and football matches years ago, they would always start with abide with me, wouldn't they? We're meant to live in the presence of God 24-7. So if I, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'm going to read a whole psalm. Now, you will be blessed to know it's not a long one. Not like Psalm 119 that I think is quite long. But this is one, it's Psalm 23, and I want to put a bit of emphasis on it. Where are we? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not needy. He loves me because he's my shepherd. He'll go and find me when I've fallen. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He wants us to live in rest. He leads me beside the still waters. He leads, doesn't push. (laughs) We can choose, can't we? He restores my soul. How many of us have got battered souls where we're depressed and anxious? He leads me beside the still waters. Oh, did I say that? Sorry. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He wants us to be transformed into his likeness because he is righteous for his name's sake. It's not for our benefit. I think there's an element, you know, where God's looking with all the accusations of the devil. And he knows his time's up. But he's going to say, look, like he did with Job, look at that man. With all that's gone on in his life, He still loves me. Does that stir you? (coughs) Though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil. Doesn't mean life's going to be easy. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's our rock, he's our fortress. He's our strong tower. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's just the fact you're sitting there. You've got everything and there's those that wanted you. And I'm not talking about your enemies being your neighbor. (laughs) I'm talking about those spiritual forces that want you damned. My cup runneth over. It gives us more than we can cope with. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And the point that we often, we read the first bit, we forget the last bit. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now you think, well, how can I dwell somewhere? It's because it's your spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
He doesn't pack up at one o'clock on a Sunday, move out until 10.30 the following Sunday. He's with us 24-7. And unless we start changing the way we think 24-7, and it can affect our dreams as well in that respect, ultimately, maybe not on day one, but that's what makes us a different spirit. So looking at the three people, and I'm drawing it to a close now. And actually, yeah, sorry, George. I was rubbish at organising that because, you see, I'm not a professional. <laughs> the natural person, there may be somebody here. You may have been coming to church for a while. You're the natural person. Are you not stirred to want to get to know God? Because you haven't got that input in your life that can change everything. For the carnal person, you can live your whole Christian life being carnal. There is no rite of passage <laughs> that you will one day get to where you should be. There are many Christians who've died when they shouldn't have died because of wrong choices. So dwell on it. Dwell in God's presence to get out of that place. Or at least run. <laughs> at least fight. And then, of course, there's the spiritual person. Live in love. That's what I say to you. Live in love. We don't need the evidences of a carnal person. Strife, envy, and division. That's what is defined in the Bible as an evidence of living a carnal life. Do you live in strife? Do you live in envy? And are you living in division? Well, then there's three ticks for you to realize maybe you're not where you should be. So I want to close. I'll probably run over a few minutes, so apologies on that. But I just want to close and say, you know, if you can just close your eyes. I just pray, Lord, this morning is all about you. This morning is all about your Holy Spirit hovering as you did at the beginning of time over the earth, brooding over each one of us because you want us to be made new and to be restored and to live in the fullness of everything you give us. So I just pray, Lord, this morning that you bless everybody here, whichever state that person is in. May they be built up. There's no, there's no retirement in the kingdom of heaven. May we not be spiritual nomads. May we find a resting place. May we dwell in your presence. May we enjoy your goodness. And I thank you, Lord, for this morning. That I pray that you bless what's been said. I just bless the conversations that follow. And thank you for what you've done for us.